This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I interviewed Sam, who is a Queensland mum of five, who decided to carry a baby for a couple in Victoria who she met after reading their story online. This is such a lovely story because their determination and their friendship that comes out of the process, which wasn't easy for them, is really inspiring and Look, Sam is just so big-hearted and generous. I'm going to hand over now to Sam. My name is Sam. I'm a mum of five and just had a sorrow baby named Noah on the 5th of April this year. Um, You've got five children of your own. So how is it that a mum of five decides to become a surrogate? It's kind of been in a, a topic of conversation since I was a baby. So I had to go through an operation when I was 48 hours old and my parents were told at the time that I was never going to be able to have kids as a result. So growing up, my sisters were always like, Oh, you know, we'll have a baby for you and joking around. Well, turns out that, you know, I can have babies. Um, However, when my husband and I decided to try um, for our third, um, it, it wasn't happening. And I remember, you know, the feelings of being disappointed and every month trying to get that positive test. And yeah, it was just, it felt like a letdown every month. Um, Lucky for us that it was mild intervention of some medication that that's all we needed. Um, So, you know, we're lucky enough to get Elias and then we got the twins, Lockie and Lexi. and that made five. So definitely knew we were done after that. Um, and the day I decided that I want to get into surrogacy, actually stumbled across um, an, uh, an editorial about my IPs. Um, they had been through years and years of IVF, um, 17 cycles, um, to find out that they were never, ever going to, be able to carry their own child so I just felt a connection to that that story their story and it was literally one night sitting on the couch reading it and I was like yeah you know I need to reach out to these people and I did um and that's where our journey began we started to get to know each other and both of us didn't know anything about surrogacy laws they were in Melbourne I'm in Queensland we didn't know that there was different laws in every state. So we really had to sort of get up to speed with how surrogacy works and things like that. But it really just started as a friendship. Um, I didn't even consult my husband at the time. <laughs> so I reached out to Michelle and the first thing that she said to me was, I think your husband's going to notice. So, you know, maybe you want to speak to him about it and, you know, the conversations that we had had in the past, um, you know, not anything serious, but, you know, when you get it, get in, you know, you're having drinks with friends and you just talk about those different subjects that had, had always been one that we had discussed. So he was really supportive. And I think to be able to do a surrogacy, your partner has to be on board 100% because they're the ones that are going to catch your mood swings and, you know, be there. And for us, it was a... Um, interstate surrogacy so you know when my IPs couldn't be there he was 
Um, and the same with, you know, following the surrogacy when they had to go home, he's going to be the one that was catching the, the hormones going back to normal and things like that. So yeah, surrogacy kind of just happened, but had always been in the back of my mind. How did you find the process being in Queensland and having to comply with Victorian laws? Oh, I think it would have been easier going through Queensland, to be honest. Um, Queensland laws seem a lot more relaxed. Um, Victoria is definitely one of the most strict um, states to get um, an approval through the PRP process. Um, But in saying that, I think it's beneficial to have to go through all those counselling and have to do the psychologist reports and things because then you really know who you're signing up to. Like um, when the laws are, you know, a bit wishy-washy, anyone can just put their hand up and you don't really know who you're going to get on the other end. So you've got to go into this full trusting the other parties, me trusting my IPs and them trusting me. Um, so the process was definitely harder, um, longer, um, and because of certain things, particularly about before we knew about the laws and, and my IPs, having their story told as such, um, you know, it did make the steps a little bit harder for us and ex- extended the process for by about 12 months. So our journey from start to finish um, was about two and a half years. So mm. it was a long journey. It consumed your life, like, in all aspects. <laughs> prepared, um, I guess, on both ends to give up part of your life for a long period of time. So I know that the process with the patient review panel was longer than usual for your particular team. Can you tell us about why that was and what happened with patient review panel? Yeah, so... Um, in different states, um, advertising is considered prohibited. So, um, because Michelle had told her story, um, to, to a reporter, um, the PRP wanted to make sure that we had an altruistic surrogacy arrangement. So we had to prove that quite a bit within the PRP panel. So they just made us jump through a lot more hoops and prove our friendship as well as that, you know, that there was no um, kickbacks as, as sort, you know, um, coming to me down the long, in the long run. Um, and I think for the PRP panel, um, how have they just met us when they had accepted our original application? Um, they would have known and they would have been able to see how genuine our friendship was. Um, but they didn't. They prolonged it, thought about it in the background, required more information, more um, reports from doctors and things like that. And it wasn't until they finally did give us a hearing that the PRP panel uh, realised, and you could see it in their eyes, that they realised that they had made a mistake by prolonging um, you know, the approval of our surrogacy journey. So that delay and and the process must have been incredibly stressful on everyone in the team. How was that for you? How did you cope with the stress and still continue on on the journey? Because I guess you would have had the option of saying, 
this is all too much, I don't want to do this anymore, but you kept going. How was that for everyone? Um, when we decided to offer to be their surrogate family, um, it's a commitment. And so regardless of what hurdles we were going to face, we didn't know what we were going to face at the beginning. You never know. You go into this um, blind and you just, you know, you'll all learn as you go. And so I wasn't going to just give up on, on them because of this. We knew that we had a genuine friendship and um, we knew that, the, you know, we had done anything wrong. It was more naiveness that we didn't understand, I guess, the laws regarding surrogacy and how they changed between state to state and how easy it is to, you know, tell your story. And that's all it was. It wasn't a plea for a surrogate. It was them telling their story about how many rounds of IVF they've had and to be told that, yeah, no worries, you're going to have a baby. And for someone that is so desperate to have a baby, you're holding on to that. And so they would have just continued and continued and continued to go through IVF and they would have just been taken, you know, the doctors were just taking, taking their money. It wasn't until, you know, family of theirs really pushed to get a second opinion that it turned out that, it was never going to happen. So, you know, it was, it was more of a, you know, an editorial about get a second opinion. Don't always take what your first doctor's telling you because you could end up blowing a lot of money or a lot of emotions and all the treatments and stuff and unnecessary treatments that they, they could have or had to go through um, for, for a, a reason that may not have ever come. And in this case, that was never going to happen. Mm. So, um, but it, I think if, if we can advocate for surrogacy in anything, it's to make laws between states the same. So everyone's on the same wavelength because, you know, advertising in one state's okay and, you know, same-sex couples is okay, but it's not in another state. And, you know, surrogate mothers that can, um, can be a surrogate that haven't got kids in one state but can't in another. So when the, all the laws are so different in each state, it makes it extremely hard for couples to connect. Um, yeah. Thankfully for us, our journey ends up being a positive one, but a lot of people, a lot of surrogates probably would have given up, but it was a commitment from the start and we wouldn't have, yeah, we would never have just turn our back on on them due to the the process taking a little bit more time and when we reflect back on it it was probably a good thing it it made our bond a lot stronger you know my ips were very much you know they never ever pressured me into doing it they always were there telling me you know at any point in time if you don't want to go ahead they would understand you know it was always my you know mine and Barry's and our kids first before their own. They've always maintained that throughout, even now, like we still talk every week and, you know, things have changed, but, you know, that's because they're busy paying parents now. <laughs> so after you finally got PRP approval, um, was it, how many embryo transfers did you have to have? One. That's amazing. So at least there yeah. was some good luck after all of that. Oh. <laughs> yeah how was the pregnancy yeah. for you being in Queensland with your intended parents down here in Melbourne 
Um, it was relatively good. I mean, as any intended parent, it's um, nerve-wracking. Um, for me, I mean, I'd been through so many pregnancies, it was just another one. It wasn't really anything. But for them, I know it was hard, hard to be away, hard not to be here, you know, for every little thing. And I would never have... Um, expected them to be here for everything when you go into surrogacy you need to understand that you're gonna be sick you're gonna be pregnant you know there's you don't know if you're gonna be sick with your own or whether you, you know um for me i got everything i didn't with my my own pregnancies so i didn't have morning sickness with my own i got morning sickness with theirs um i got gestational diabetes with um the surrogate baby which obviously changed um a lot you know changed the way that your pregnancy progresses how many scans you have to have your diet your eating habits you've got to consciously think about everything that goes into your mouth um because ultimately you don't know how it's going to affect the size of the baby um i was quite strict but the baby ended up being quite big as well. So um, you can never predict that it's going to be the same as your own. And you can't really go into to a surrogacy expecting that either because you'd be definitely disappointed with the outcome. Mm. And I know that you'd had four births before. Um, how, yes. Was this one different? Was the surrogacy baby birth a, a different from the others? A hundred percent. So um, all my children, including my twins, were natural deliveries under four hours. Uh, Noah was a cesarean birth due to how big he was. He was 4.113 kilos, a.k.a. 9.1 pounds, 9 pound one. Um, so, yeah, we had a plan. We had a plan to have this really easy labour you know, I get to hand the baby over to them and see that first, you know, look on their face, have a photographer there. Um, and that all sort of at 35 weeks got thrown out the window when he was weighing over three and a half kilos. And we really had to make a decision whether or not it was the safest option to push for a normal delivery or to do a cesarean. And um, my gut instinct was um, definitely to go with the cesarean. Um, my third, he was my biggest and he got stuck. So I didn't want to put that risk, um, you know, in a surrogacy. So, it's, you know, it's kind of like you got this whole different level of responsibility to make sure this baby comes out alive and happy and the parents are happy and you're happy and you can go back to your family. Ultimately, that's our goal, me to go back to my family and Noah to go to his family. Um, and if that's what it meant for having a cesarean, that's what we're going to do. So, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, with a natural delivery, your expectations of how it's going to end and you hear stories of how important it is to make sure you see them have the baby and, how important it is for you to hand the baby over to them. And, and that changed. And, you know, originally they weren't allowed in the room. They weren't going to be there for the cesarean. It was, and it was like I had to choose between my husband and the parents of the baby. And um, Barry was always going to be my first choice. And they, were, they would never, ever 
um, have let me choose them over my husband anyways. They would, Barry's always been um, involved in the process from the beginning and if they consult me, they consult him. They've never ever made us feel um, insignificant to them. Um, so for me, having Barry there and being him being part of that process and seeing them have the baby for the first time and those, that was good enough for me. So we had this plan and then two minutes before about to be wheeled in for the cesarean, the um, anesthesiologist told Michelle and Chris to scrub up and that was the best. That was the best feeling that they got to be there. Um, and I might not have get, got to see them, but I got to hear them and that emotion was amazing. Like that's what we do it for. Um, and yeah, Barry got to experience seeing them hold him for the first time and it was really cool. That's amazing. Um, so mm. how many weeks are you post-birth now? I think I'm 10 weeks on Friday. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's one of those <laughs> things being a surrogate, you forget how long, because you don't have to keep track of all the milestones for this baby. How's the last yeah. 10 weeks been? Um, surprisingly easy. I um, I didn't go into this knowing how I'd feel afterwards and you hear different experiences and and for me I think that's the pros of them being long distance because then you know you have your pros and your cons and I guess the pros are that um they were never fully in my face all the time they're not here to I guess to rub it in or not not rub it in because I'll never rub it in but yeah it's not here in my face every day so the transition days were always hard so leaving the hospital was hard it felt like the end of the journey it was a very emotional day um I could just imagine what everyone was thinking as we're waiting to be picked up in the um entryway of the hospital and we're all a blubbering mess particularly me um but when people ask, you know, you know, was it hard to give the baby over? It wasn't. It wasn't about the baby. All I, it was this attachment to my IPs. You know, they had been my life and my husband's life and my kid's life for like two years. And so that was the first day of our transition where things were going to change, whether it was them going back with their baby and contact, you know, not being the same as it was, you know, 10 messages a day and, you know, sending them pictures of the be belly and whatnot to, you know, we still talk, but it's not, it was never going to be the same. So that's what really affected me more than looking at Noah and seeing him. I never had a desire for him. It was always a desire. It was like a breakup with the parents. <laughs> it was really this really odd feeling. And then, you know, for us, obviously, we had to go through that again when they left um, Brisbane. So they stayed around for a few weeks. But um, it wasn't the day they left, but it was a, a couple of days leading up to that. Um, it was really emotional. Again, I can't really... so hard to explain. You can't... It's not one... It's like a feeling of loss, but you're not really desiring anything. It's, yeah... 
it's really hard to explain that feeling. I think that's, that's really interesting because I, I know I felt that certain times there was a, like, like grief, but you're really happy yeah. about them being parents, but it feels a bit like grief. I do remember feeling also yeah. that, um, that the ending, that my ending was their beginning and that was actually a bit hard to deal with. Like it was really happy, but yeah. also a bit sad because that was the end of my part of the journey. Yeah. But as we find yeah. that there's, there's no end, you're still part of their lives and you're still, you'll oh. always be Noah's birth mother and yeah. Yeah, 100%. They, you know, they've definitely made a conscious effort to to keep me as involved as I want to be involved. You know, like one thing when we started the journey is we never wanted to force our relationship after. We wanted it to naturally either stay the same, progress, you know, fade away, but we never wanted to put it in writing and say, oh, you know, they had to send me photos at least once a week or, you know, um, because we wanted it to remain as natural as it was before. So, you know, it's nice. I quite enjoy getting those photos. I wasn't sure during the surrogacy, the pregnancy, whether I would. Um, but I do. I love him like a nephew and I love seeing him. And I like the fact that Michelle's comfortable enough that when she sends her sisters a photo of Noah, that they that she sends me one as well with the same captions. You know, there's no weirdness. It's just a natural, loving relationship for us all. And, you know, we will be connected to them for the rest of their lives and, and vice versa. And yeah, I just love seeing them as a family. And ultimately that's why we do it. It's, it's not something that, you know, you can prepare yourself for. You've just got to go with the flow, I guess. Mm. That's amazing. Do you have any advice for anyone, any woman in particular that's thinking about becoming a surrogate? If you're worried about not handing the baby over, don't. Um, but I, in, in saying that you really need to be done in your mind. And I think if you're done in your mind, it will be a piece of cake. I don't think you're really going to, you're always going to go through emotions. That's, that's natural with the hormones and stuff. But, um, I think when you're done having your own kids and you are truly out to, to make another family happy and give them the feelings of what it was like when you held your baby in your arms for the first time. Those moments, you know, after they're not, they're not as bad as what you kind of make up in your mind. And you can never sit there and really anticipate exactly how the journey is going to go. Um, whether it's, you know, starts off as a good journey and ends a bad journey or, you know, is a good journey all the way through. I mean, it's really hard to predict um, how surrogates are going to be, how intended parents are going to be after. Um, you can just try and mentally prepare yourself for those, those emotions and, and don't be in denial. Like it's okay to have a cry. Um, you can't really help it really, <laughs> but, yeah. but do it. If you can do it, it's, it's definitely worth it. The, you'll never ever be able to um, explain the feeling that you get from seeing a, a family become or a couple become a family. Thank you for listening to the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about surrogacy, you can have a look at my website at sarahjefford.com 
You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram, and you can listen to more podcasts on the website or on Apple Podcasts.